0: Well, good morning, church. I'm grateful to be with you this morning. Powerful is the name of Jesus. Amen. I mean, that was awesome. Our worship team led us beautifully there. We love to lift up the name of Jesus here at Shades. And so whether you're joining us online or joining us in the room, maybe for the first time, we want to say welcome to you. And you got a little bit of a picture of what we're about here at Shades, and that is lifting up the powerful name of Jesus. I mean, what a great way, great way to start this morning. If you are new, we want to let you know that we've been in a series over the last couple of weeks in the book of Psalms. And we're going to continue in that series this morning in Psalm 32. So if you have your Bible, or if you need a Bible, you can grab one uh, right there in the pew in front of you. We're going to turn to Psalm 32. And I'd like to invite you to stand with me. Here at Shades, we stand at the reading of the word of the Lord. Uh, We believe that God's word is right and good and true. And when we stand, we are recognizing its authority over us. That as the grass withers and the flower fades... God's word abides forever and it has authority over us. And so we submit to it this morning and honor its reading in this place. And this is the word of the Lord in Psalm 32 to us this morning. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me this morning. Father God, we recognize that your word has authority over us. And so God, I pray that as we submit to that authority and we seek to hear it from you, God, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be listening, that the distractions that can so easily turn us away from what you are doing or what you wanna say to us in this space, God, I pray that you would remove those things from us this morning, that we would hear a word from you. And God, we know that a word from you has the power to change a life. And so God, I pray that you would change lives this morning through your Holy Spirit among us. we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Y'all can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing with me. The year was 1952 and Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Howard knew the journey ahead of them was a long one. They had met at Wheaton College and they started to fall in love and they expressed to one another their their calling to go and take the gospel to the nations. You see, Jim and Elizabeth had both grown up around missionaries. They had seen their faces, they had heard their stories. They had witnessed what it would be like to give up everything to take the gospel to the unreached. And so when Jim heard about the Alca tribe of Ecuador in 1950, God had made it clear that this was the people that they were to go and to reach. And in 1952, that call became a reality. Invigorated and energized by this adventure that lay ahead of them, Jim traveled to the jungles of Ecuador to take the forgiveness and the hope of the gospel to people there who had never heard it before. It was that same year that Elizabeth went and joined him on the field. You saw some of their pictures here on the screen. Little did they know that the calling the Lord had placed on their lives would alter their future so dramatically. For those of you who know this story, you know that on January 8th, of 1956, while attempting to contact the people of the Alka tribe, Jim and four other missionaries were speared to death, slain by those they came to take the gospel to. He and Elizabeth had only been married two years and three months and they had a 10 month old daughter. Her name was Valerie. Now Jim's sacrifice for the sake of the gospel to leverage all he had for the sake of the gospel, it's a beautiful story. But I believe there's there's another beautiful story that takes place in the sacrifice of Jim Elliot. And that's the story of his wife, Elizabeth. You see, Elizabeth had the incredible capacity to forgive. In fact, writing a letter to her parents just weeks after Jim's death, listen to the words that she said to them. She said this, I feel confident that the door to the Alcas, far from being closed is now open. I've said nothing of this to anyone else, but my longing now is to reach them. Pray that He will teach me all that He wanted me to learn through this, and oh, that I might be prepared to fulfill the good pleasure of His will. But if it be to go to the Alkas, I should be loaded down with the overweights of joy. Nothing would thrill me more. When we just take a moment, and consider the gravity of Elizabeth's words in this letter to her parents. I I don't know about you, but I find myself struck with wonder. Wonder at her willingness to stay there in Ecuador and continue to live this calling that God had placed on her life. Wonder at her ability to trust in the Lord when the most precious thing here on this earth was taken away from her. But more than all of these, I'm struck by the wonder of her ability, her capacity to forgive the very people who took her husband from her. I also believe that the forgiveness we see in the life of Elizabeth Elliot isn't indicative uh, of something within herself, but of something she herself had experienced. It flowed from her encounter with the forgiveness of God for herself. Writing just a few years later in Suffering is Never for Nothing, one of her most famous books, Elizabeth explains how she was able to forgive these people for taking her husband. And she says this, the first principle is that of the cross. Life comes from death. I bring God my sorrows, he gives me his joy. I bring him my losses and he gives me his gains. I give him my sins and he gives me his righteousness. I bring him my deaths and he gives me his life. This is the wonder of the forgiveness of God. This is the wonder of the forgiveness of God. And it's this same sense of wonder at the forgiveness of God that colors the words of David in Psalm 32. Because here, in response to the own depth to the, to the depths of his own sin, David writes Psalm 32 as a testimony, a song of his own experience with God's forgiveness. And it's as if he's holding up this, this refined diamond and he's shining it in the light, and he turns a flashlight on and he turns it and shows us all of these different dimensions, all of these aspects of God's forgiveness that are available to us today. And I wanna spend our time this morning looking at these different facets of God's forgiveness. So let's look at the first one together this morning. And that is the fullness of God's forgiveness. In Psalm 32, we see the fullness of God's forgiveness. Now David begins Psalm 32 in a familiar way In Psalms 1 and 2, David began by showing us what it means to receive blessing from God and what God requires to give that blessing. But in Psalm 32, David broadens our view of that blessing. And he does this by showing us that God gives blessing not just to those who are righteous, but also to the forgiven. Using carefully chosen language to make a comparison between man's sinful heart on this side and God's rich grace on this side, David shows us just how full, just how comprehensive God's forgiveness really is and how it leads to an abundance of blessing for those who receive it. Now, at first glance in verses one and two, it seems like the same idea is just being repeated over and over again. But we know this to be true about the word of God, that every single word is there on purpose, that we believe that God had intention in every word. And I believe when we look at Psalm 32 verses one and two, we see some very specific choices of words that David uses to paint a a picture for us, just how deep our sin really is. And there's three words he uses for sin here. He uses the word transgression, which means to be a rebel or to betray God and his ways. Then he uses the word sin, one who misses the mark of holiness that is set by God. Finally, David uses the word iniquity, which means crookedness or waywardness or perversion from within, from the heart. When David uses these words, he's painting a portrait for us that we might see the human condition and in some ways look in the mirror. We might actually see ourselves and realize how broken, how lost, In many ways, how helpless we really are. And then it's in response to this desperate diagnosis that we see God, the physician, prescribe exactly what is needed. Exactly what is needed to heal the sinful man's broken ailments. First, David tells us that God forgives transgressions, giving pardon to those who are rebellious. Next, David tells us that God covers our sin, making atonement or payment for our unholy living. Finally, David says that God does not count our iniquities against us, but he forgives them, not counting this burden of debt that we build up over the course of a lifetime of sin. This comparison David's making in these verses is meant to reveal to us the source of blessing found in forgiveness. You see, when we hold up the depth of our sin against the grace of a forgiving God, we see just how full God's forgiveness really is. Let me say it this way. I think David wants us to understand that although our sins are many, and many of our sins are great, God's forgiveness is even greater. And you might say, how can this be? How can this be true? Well, this truth lies in the fact that God does not offer us forgiveness based upon our sin, but upon the riches of his grace. God does not offer us forgiveness based upon our sin, but upon the riches of his grace. You see, God's not this airline hostess standing at a counter and weighing the bags of our sin to determine whether or not they're going to get on the flight. That's not who God is. God is measuring our sin against the immeasurable riches of his grace in Jesus Christ. And when he does, they're forgiven over and over and over again. All he asks is that we would admit our need and confess our sin to him. And he will meet our sin with his grace, just like he did for David. What a comfort this truth is. What a balm for the burdened soul that God would forgive those who seek forgiveness, not based on what they've done, but based upon the riches of his grace in Christ. It's a beautiful truth if we choose to believe it. But that's where I struggle. I think that's maybe where some of you struggle. You see, many of us are are perfectly okay to confess that we believe in the forgiveness of God, Maybe some of us have no problem offering forgiveness to others who wrong us or who harm us in our lives. But when we consider this level of forgiveness for ourselves, sometimes it just feels a little too good to be true, especially when we know what we've done. Maybe some of you have said some things that you just can't ever take back. Maybe some of you should have been present, should have been engaged, and instead you were absent and pulled away. Maybe some of you have hurt someone deeply, and now they're not even a part of your life anymore. Whatever the circumstances were, you find yourself thinking about it every single day. It plagues your mind. It weighs heavy on your heart. You think about it as you lay your head on the pillow at night to fall asleep, and you think, surely, surely God's forgiveness can't can't forgive that. Surely God's forgiveness isn't isn't enough for what I have done. Friend, Psalm 32 has some good news for you this morning. It's a balm for the soul, a prescription from the great physician. It tells us how clearly, how extensively, and how comprehensively God's forgiveness truly is for us this morning. There's no sin, no mistake, no hurt you've caused no guilt or shame that you have to carry anymore. None of it is outside of the fullness of God's forgiveness, sins, iniquities, transgressions. None of them stand against the riches of the immeasurable grace of our God. And we know this is true because of what Jesus tells those who are burdened. In Matthew 11, he says this, come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is the great blessing of the gospel that we can come to Jesus that Jesus offers us his sinless record in exchange for the weight of our sins and carrying our burden to the cross. He paid for those very sins finally once and for all so we no longer have to carry the weight anymore. You see on the cross, Jesus purchased the fullness of God's forgiveness for you and he left no doubt about it. It is Finished. Maybe you find that you are heavy laden this morning. You've done some things in your life you truly regret. You're carrying the weight of the sin that you've done, that you've committed in your life. You've hurt other people. Maybe you're living in guilt from past sin that's plagued your conscience and polluted your relationship with God and with others. The fullness of God's forgiveness is available to you this morning. Stop punishing yourself for what Jesus has already died for. He's made it available to you. All he asks is that you will confess your sin. And he will give it to you, not based upon what you've done, but based upon his grace. Will you come to him? Will you find rest for your soul? David turns the diamond just a little bit to help us see another dimension of God's forgiveness in Psalm 32. After telling us about the fullness of God's forgiveness, he then turns our attention to the patience of God's forgiveness, and he tells us his own story, his own testimony of the way that the patience of God's forgiveness pursued him in his life. In verses 3 and 4, David describes this internal battle that waged inside of him as he tried to hide his sin from God. And in these verses, David uses some really powerful language. He says that his sin was wasting away inside of him, that he was groaning and heavy and dried up, expressing just how weighty God's hand of conviction was on his heart as he tried to hide his sin. Man, no matter how much David tries to hide his sin, God came after him again and again and again. God pursued him. In fact, verse four tells us that God's hand was heavy upon him, convicting him, drawing him to repentance. Here, God's patient pursuit of David's rebellious heart is a wonder unto itself. He wasn't shaking his fists in heaven and and screaming at David because of what he had done. He wasn't coming down on him in condemnation. Instead, we see a patient, loving, calm hand press upon David's heart and remind him of his sin and call him to repentance. We've all done some silly things in our lives. I remember when I was eight years old, I wanted to learn to play the piano. Notice what I'm not doing this morning, playing the piano. And so you know where this is going. And I told my mom, I really wanted to have a piano, especially in our house, so I could learn how to play the piano. And she said, I'll make you a deal. I will buy you a keyboard. And if you practice and you really invest in it, then in a couple years, we'll talk about getting you a real piano. And I agreed to it. Okay. The only problem was I just, I really wanted to be good at piano and I didn't want to practice. Okay. And so I just thought, man, if I want it enough, I'll just, I'll just learn how to do it. Uh, Lesson learned, right? Life lesson learned. Okay. And so I remember we just got into this constant circle of her telling me to practice, me fighting her on it, me not wanting to do it, complaining about it, not being ready at my lesson, paying for another lesson. You know, the cycle just goes and goes and goes until one day I was like, you know what, I am fed up with this practice. Okay, I'm fed up. And so she said, "Go, Jeremy, go and practice your piano." And so I'm on my way out of the kitchen, and I see one of those like little kid pair of scissors. You know what I'm talking about, with like the color handles. I just grab it, slip it in my back pocket. All right. So I walk around our house, over to where my keyboard was, and I wait kind of a minute or two, and I lean down under the keyboard and I pull that cord and I clip it, clip it. Then I hide those scissors right back in my pocket. And then I like, you know, well up my eyes a whole bunch. And I'm like, mom, one of my brothers cut the cord of my keyboard. And I can remember her face, eyebrows raised. She was like, interesting. What happened exactly? And over the course of the next hour, she proceeded to ask me the same question over and over. Jeremy, are you sure that's what happened? Jeremy, are you sure that's what happened? You see, she knew that I was lying. She knew that I was the one who had cut the cord of that keyboard. And she could have come in that room and said, how dare you lie to me? But she didn't. Because out of her love for me, she came into that room and she began to just kind of press. Are you sure you're telling me the truth? Are you sure? You see, it was her patient hand that continued to ask and ask and give me chance after chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity to finally confess my sin to her. And after about an hour I did, I fell apart in the car. We were like on our way to the grocery store and I was like, I did it. And she was like, yeah, I know, right? (laughs) You see, my mom didn't come down on me in, in, in horrible conviction, but she did press. She just asked questions out of her love for me. Her desire for me was to confess my sin, to tell the truth that I was lying. And this is what we see from God. We don't see him shaking his fists or throwing lightning bolts at David. We see him pressing slowly, carefully, methodically, intentionally because of his love for David saying, come back to me, come back to me. But that's not how we feel often when we feel conviction in our hearts. Instead, we confuse conviction as God judging us instead of his grace and his kindness towards us. We miss that soft press upon our hearts that what we're doing or the things we're thinking or the things that we want are just not aligned with his will. Yet in David's story, we don't see a furious God just trying to expose David to the world. We see a father who wants to call his son back to repentance. Paul David Tripp says this about confession. He says, or conviction, excuse me. He says, if you feel the weight of your sin, you're being visited by glorious grace. Did you catch that? If you feel the weight of your sin, you're being visited by glorious grace. And it's this glorious grace that leads David to confession in verse five. The weight of his sin had weighed heavy on him and it was just too great to bear anymore. The conviction of God, that heavy hand of God was on David and he couldn't bear it. He couldn't take it anymore. And he came to God and he asked God for forgiveness and verse 5 tells us a beautiful, beautiful truth. It tells us, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We have to understand that God's forgiveness is not only, or our forgiveness is, is not only God's intention, but it's His delight. He delights in calling us back to repentance and to forgiveness. He finds pleasure in our rescue and delight in our homecoming and at the heart of his patient conviction on us is always glorious grace calling us back again and again and again. And then in verse six, he turns to us. He turns to those of us who are hearing this song of praise and he pleads with us to confess our sin, to feel the gentle, patient pursuit of God convicting our hearts and calling us to forgiveness while it still can be found. The question for us is, will we come? Will we be honest? Will we be transparent about what we're really struggling with in the dark? Will we have courage to know that his forgiveness is enough and that his opinion of us means so much more than anyone who would see us come forward in sin? I think there are many people in this room right now who can relate to David's story. I I genuinely believe that there are some of you right now in your pew who are feeling the weight of your sin hidden away in your life. You've hidden away secret sins of lust, of anger, bitterness towards those who have hurt you, of gossip, of discontentment, Whatever that sin might be, it is plaguing your heart. It is slowly killing you from the inside out and you've hidden it for so long and you just don't know if you can tell the truth about what's really going on under the surface of your heart. And so you live your life day by day as if nothing were wrong. You walk the halls of your school, of your office, of your home, of your your church, pretending like everything is fine, but you feel the weight of your sin crushing you. The heavy hand of God is on you. And if that's you this morning, you're being visited by glorious grace. Glorious grace. He's coming after you. He's pursuing you. What is it that you need to acknowledge before him? What is it that you need to confess? Maybe you're here for the first time this morning and you're just trying this whole church thing out. And you don't know what it is. Maybe before you you didn't really feel like anything was wrong when you did what you wanted to do, but this morning you feel this weight on your heart, this weight on your shoulders. You're not sure what it is. And you feel the burden of the things you've done in your life. Because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, forgiveness is available to you this morning. It's a free gift to any who will confess their need. God's patience is at work right now. How will you respond to his glorious grace? David turns this diamond for us one more time and he shows us the promises of God's forgiveness in verses eight through 11. He completes Psalm 32 by inviting us into these promises of forgiveness. Here we see that God not only patiently pursues us and fully covers our sin, but he promises to those who would come wisdom and love and joy for anyone who would be found in his glorious grace. In verse eight and nine, David uses the illustration of a bit controlling the direction of a horse or a mule to express God's promise to guide the forgiven away from their sinful lifestyle and into a new life that is pleasing to him. Here we see God's promise through David to give direction and protection to the forgiven so that they can follow in obedience and and follow in a way that honors the Lord and turn away from their sin and turn towards a newness of life. Verse 10 tells us that David promised God's love for those who would be found in forgiveness, that God through David says, no, the steadfast love of the Lord will surround you if you are forgiven. You are locked in, you are secure, you are assured that God's love for you through his forgiveness will always remain, that grace will be available to you. This is the steadfast love that is promised to those who are forgiven. And finally, David completes Psalm 32 with verse 11. And I love this. It's like a loud verse. It's like he's shouting as he's writing, shouting about the blessings of forgiveness. God promises a newfound joy to those who were unrighteous and are now declared righteous in God's eyes. What could be greater than the celebration of the forgiveness of our sin and the redemption of our lost it's these promises in verses 8 through 11 that show us this identity exchange that happens when we receive the forgiveness of God. You see, not only does God forgive our sins, but He adopts us as sinners, and He makes us sons and daughters. He doesn't just rescue us as rebels, but He redeems us as friends. Here we see forgiveness is not an end at all, but a beginning an entry point into relationship with the living God. In his sermon collection entitled The Gift of Love, Martin Luther King Jr. said this on the invitation found in forgiveness. He said, forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on the evil act. It means rather that the evil act no longer remains a barrier to the relationship. Listen to this part. Forgiveness is a catalyst creating the atmosphere necessary for a fresh start and a new beginning. This is the promise that we see in verses eight through 11, that God would give us a new beginning in the forgiveness that he offers to us. You know, it's amazing to consider that when David wrote Psalm 32, Jesus hadn't even entered into the picture yet. He hadn't even come into history Yet, The grace David experienced from God in response to his sin was given to him because he made a sacrifice in the temple to cover his sin. And in this sacrifice, David would have shed the blood of an animal to cover his sin. But when we consider that diamond, the beauty of the wonder of God's forgiveness in light of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, it makes it so much more beautiful. You see, in David's day, the only way to receive forgiveness from God would have been through animal sacrifice. But through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection, you can receive the forgiveness of God by grace through faith. Access to the wonders of God's forgiveness is available to you today. You don't have to make a sacrifice. You don't have to do some kind of ritual. You don't have to make a payment for what you've done. Now, Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, has done it all on your behalf. Through the blood of his cross, you can experience the fullness and the promises of his forgiveness for your sin. The question for you is how will you respond this morning? Maybe there's something you've done in your past you're just carrying that guilt and you can't let it go. He says, come to me, all who labor, I'll give you rest. Maybe this morning you are hiding a sin, something that has control over you in the darkness and you just don't know how you'll ever be free. The patient hand of God and his glorious grace is on you this morning. Come and confess your sin. Come and receive the forgiveness for what you've done that he has made available through his life, death, and resurrection. Maybe you experienced God's forgiveness 50 years ago for the very first time. I want to encourage you this morning. When something is wonderful or full of wonder, then its value never runs out. And although we may have heard a message of forgiveness before, God's forgiveness is as new and as fresh to us today as it has ever been. How is he calling you to respond to it today? Maybe for the first time, maybe after 50 years, whatever it is, something this wonderful (laughs) requires us to respond. And so we're gonna give you space to do that this morning. In a minute, we're gonna sing amazing grace. We're gonna sing about what Jesus has made available to us. And we wanna invite you to come to the front and to bring your burdens to the one who says, come to me. And there's something about that physical coming that symbolizes what God is doing, what he is saying to you. And so we wanna encourage you, be courageous. Come and lay your sin, lay your burdens at the altar and ask for God to pour out the blessing of his forgiveness in a new and a fresh way in you this morning. If you want someone to pray with you, our team is gonna be here and we would love to pray with you. Don't leave without responding. This forgiveness is an incredible rich gift. And we want to come to it time and time and time again and drink of the goodness of the well of his grace. Let's do that together as a church this morning. Would you pray with me?